ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. I am glad to welcome a friend and colleague um, that I've gotten to know over the last year, uh, Sheena Quick, who is a beat writer for the Carolina Panthers and has more slashes than Cordell Stewart. She writes <laughs> NBA, like NFL, like NCAA, <laughs> and I mean, all kinds of stuff. And one of my favorites the big oh, three. Thank you. The big three is, and then just you, just you do so much. You're out there <laughs> hustling, you know. Look, I'm trying. I'm trying. You would you were doing it before we started getting laid off on every case, so you're already out there hustling. Man, it's like, come on, COVID in the way. <sighs> yeah. But um, I, I I've said this a couple of times is that the one thing that I've really enjoyed about all of this is that so many of us have gotten to know each other and reach out and support each other and read and listen and, yeah. you know, find out what other content creators there are out there. I, I don't know if we would have made the same connections if the things that have been happening in the country this year. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I mean, yeah. you got to take some good out of this. And it forces us to, um, as a society, as a whole, we're always thinking about what we have to do next. So it, it, it forced everyone to kind of like sit still for a minute. And then, you know, your senses are heightened to, to things that you would ordinarily kind of just, you know, swoop past in an everyday, in an everyday setting. So I am appreciative of that for sure. And, and you've been a voice too in trying to change some of these power dynamics that exist. I mean, we're fighting it on a number of fronts. And you drew a lot of attention because you spoke up about um, conditions for women in the sports workplace. That took, I mean, stepping out at any time, women are automatically going to be criticized about everything from the timing to what you did. And and you'll be second guessed and attacked from men and women both. Yeah. Why was it important for you to just be willing to to brave that? It was important to me because... um, I thought maybe the issues with me were isolated incidents because from the first to the last thing that I, that I you know disclosed it was like almost two years in between. So um, I was shocked to learn that so many other women had that experience, and I was like, yeah, it needs to be talked about. It doesn't need to continue to be swept under the rug because he has a big following, or because we think he'll like find a way to slander us, like. And if it if it makes opportunities disappear, then those opportunities weren't right for us in the first place. So it just it was important to do. It was important to say, especially someone of his stature in these social media streets, like you know how that is. So mm-hmm. it gave me pause because it was a black man. And I'm like, okay, with everything going on in the country, do I say something now? And I'm like, well, I'm a black woman. There right. are other black women that ha- that, you know, I, w- I don't like to use the word victim. But there were other black women that had braved those circumstances and some went on to do great things. Some of them were completely turned off from sports journalism as a whole. I want to speak for those women that didn't even get an opportunity to tap into their potential because they figure, oh my God, well, 
everybody might be like this. All men are like this in this industry. Maybe I just need to find something else. So that's the biggest takeaway from it is that it, I just want women to be able to at least have peers and colleagues that they can count on for support. And I've had a lot of male colleagues that I, um, that, that I've, that have reached out to me. I had a very important male colleague that I even ran it past him before I said anything. And I was like, and I run everything past him. I'm like, well, how would this look? Cause he's an OG. He's an OG. Right. He's been in the, in the industry for over 20 years. And he was like, you shouldn't have to make that sacrifice of self-respect versus opportunities. And he was like, I think you, you should say something. And so. even beyond that part of it, it also yeah. revealed the dark side of what a lot of people who enter this business don't know is that you will be worked to death if they if you let people you let and not get money back and yeah. you'll be they will hold that carrot out for you forever as long <laughs> as you're producing content for them that yeah. they are monetizing but you're getting nothing absolutely i mean even just from like even if you could reimburse travel expenses that would be big you know what i mean like otherwise you have to look at it I won't even say that because an internship, you, you, they would cover your travel if it was an internship. But I remember when I separated from the company, I was like, you know, you're upset and you're saying that I should have stayed for the long haul. And I'm like, what's the, the long haul? Like working for free for eight to 10 years, it makes no sense. And um, you have to treat it like an internship. If you find yourself in a position where you're not being paid, you need to go ahead and be preparing your exit. Yep. Because it's not easy work, especially if you want to do a good job and you want to be thorough you know i'm willing to fly to la to cover the espies if that's going to give me more content when i look for a job so that was the trade-off of that and that still wasn't even enough and it was just when it started to be more demanding than a nine to five but you're not being compensated and you're like wait a minute now you live in a condo a high-rise on the beach in la so somebody's getting paid it's one thing if it's a startup and you know right. and you realize because we're both be in, in that position. Right. And then when you want to be in the trenches with someone, and that's why a lot of people say, well, why don't you get more people to write for quick out of the blocks? Because I want to pay them. Right. So when I get to a place financially where I can pay people, of course, I'll start bringing in writers, you know, minorities, women, men, you know, whoever. But I just wouldn't feel right adding a lot of people to the roster and expecting you to pay for stuff. I just because I've been there. Right. So, you know, I'm happy to provide an internship, but even so, I'm going to have to pay for your travel because I just, it shouldn't cost you that much to chase your dream and some for someone else. Yeah, and I'm not going to over demand. I'm not going to have you over here working 50 yeah, hours not, for me for nothing. Yeah, I can't do that. You. Right. It's just ethically wrong. So I just couldn't see myself doing that. So, guys, when Quick Out the Blocks is financially able, I would definitely be expanding the team because I like, to, I want to be able to pay you for your work. I'm, I'm the same way because like we have a group of people that I talk to all the time we're just like until we can monetize this the right way let's keep building it real slow right. let's do this you know take that time because yeah you know how it is if you rush it yeah. and you fail you don't know when you'll get the, the next opportunity the next opportunity correct yeah, absolutely right um, I would talk, a couple of headlines have come up today and Though you're in North Carolina, we both know North Carolina is heavily invested in the Washington football team. And it came out about three hours ago that now the minority owners of that team are pushing for Daniel Snyder to sell the team. Um, What do you think the likelihood is for somebody like Daniel Snyder, who has proven to be unwilling to cooperate in the past? Um. 
it's 2020. So anything could happen. People never thought that they would make them stop using the Redskins name. In 2020, that happened. So I can't even in good faith say, oh, absolutely not. Dan Snyder's not going to sell that team because anything can happen. Things that we never thought, NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Those are kind of, those had always been myths mm-hmm. and nice to haves up until this year. And when it actually happened, people were like, well, damn, 2020. So with the way this year is going, I wouldn't put it past him to just, I, I, I wouldn't, it's not a slam dunk that he's not going to sell the team. I think that it should be taken into consideration that um, life as we know it has completely shifted <laughs> in 2020. So it's always a possibility. It, it will be interesting if he does, because there are a lot of financial ramifications. I mean, we oh, know yeah. they want to move back to DC. We know right. that they need some money badly because they've, that the stadium in, is, is just falling apart. And right. Fans are giving back their season tickets, which again was a myth for so long that there was an actual waiting it was a list. Threat. It was a threat. Yeah. And it's, that's why I say this year has taught me that anything can happen. We've got a freaking earthquake here in Charlotte on Sunday. That's right. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I had never experienced in all the years that I was in North Carolina an earthquake. I, thought I never we thought about the, it. I thought it was the rapture. <laughs> you start getting yourself ready. You're because right. At first, it, it, it jarred me out of my sleep, right? And so at first, you know how sometimes if you if something startles you awake, you're shaking a little bit or you feel like you're shaking. I'm like, is it me? And I looked, I said, no, TV's shaking too. I looked outside. And guess what I did next? I prayed, then I opened Twitter. I was like, Man, I Twitter, knows what, <laughs> Twitter always knows what happened. Like, Am I crazy? Yeah, you're like, am I crazy? Let me find Twitter out what's going on. always knows what happens. Like, that's where I go before CNN or anything else. I go straight to Twitter because, I mean... It's informative. Folks will get out there and let you know. And, yeah. And, and it'll be quick. And like you said, it, you just, you can track which ones are planned and which ones are serious. Oh, and, yeah. and you, okay. All right. Yeah. And you find out you ain't crazy. Cause yeah, if you wake up and things are rumbling. Yeah. Yeah. In North Carolina. Yeah. I have my house slept through it. So. <laughs> there are those people. I think my wife would be a sleep through it kind of person. <laughs> I think she would absolutely be. Um, I did, we didn't get to mention that you do. Also, we didn't the the quick out the block blocks dot com and the quick out the blocks podcast as well. I do. Yeah. So I got a lot. Of, I mean, look, that's another thing that the pandemic has given us is given us time mm-hmm. to do things that we had always said would be nice to do. So I do have that podcast. Um, I need to actually film some more. I need to drop some episodes because I've already filmed some more. But um, Vashti hurt. Carolina mm-hmm. Blitz, a lot of people on Twitter know her as Keep Listen. We merged our two brands to bring you a podcast. We didn't, it's not a total brand merge, but it's a, a collaboration, rather. Right. The better word is collaboration. It's called Quick Blitz. And it is on the Riot Network. Um, the Roaring Riot is, I don't want to call them a Carolina Panthers fan club because it's so much bigger than that. I mean, mm-hmm. they have international members. Like, I was... I was shocked. I was blown away at like going to away games, how they have like the different charter clubs and, you know, they arrange the, um, the away game packages and things like that. So it's, it's, it's cool to be tied in with them because we're following a lot of those people. A lot of those people are following us on Twitter anyway, and they like the collaboration. They see the, the two of us and just two of us together. We had gotten a lot of feedback on our chemistry. So we were like, yeah, let's, let's just do it. 
yeah, take advantage. You, like you say, you expand your audience and, and get in touch with people that you yeah. hadn't reached before. And that's what right. this is about. I mean, the more, the merrier. I mean, I, I think you want to have choices. And that's awesome. Um, so let's get to some of the stuff with the Carolina Panthers because folks down here interested as training camps get going. We want to keep an eye on division rivals. Um, and Carolina and the Saints have a lot of cross ties this year. They do. They do. Let's start with the quarterback because that's the most high-profile thing. So Teddy Bridgewater, who did a great job for the Saints last season, and a lot of people wish he was still here, um, but signs with Carolina. Joe Brady comes in, who he has familiarity with. Um, how important is that going to be? And how much of the Panthers talked about at least having that in uh, an offseason that doesn't have preseason games and doesn't allow for a lot of time to install? Well, the thing about that is – it's a new dawn, a new day in Carolina. There's like the defensive side of the ball is almost completely new. You know, yeah. the new coaching staff. Um, David Tepper's still a relatively new owner. Yeah. And um, in an offseason that has been anything but normal, there's no OTAs, there's no rookie minicamp, no veteran minicamp. So this training camp is kind of the first time that everybody gets to see everyone. It's definitely an advantage that um, Teddy has had that relationship with Joe Brady because it puts him it gives him a little bit of a head start more so than a completely new regime where he's just now seeing this stuff in July and August so everyone's talked about that being a great and huge advantage that the two of them have worked so closely and then you also look at the the way he was able to utilize the running backs Alvin Kamara with the Saints, and then what he did with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at LSU last year that made Edwards-Hilaire a first-round draft pick for the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. I think that for Christian McCaffrey, for all the touches he had last year, I think he'd like to get more opportunities out in space, and I think Brady wants to create those for him. And I think he'll definitely do that. Now, another part of that is, you know, with Christian, everyone talks about his workload. He takes an insane number of snaps, and – this is the first time I'm saying it, so you're getting an exclusive. I feel like the answer to managing Christian's workload has been on the Carolina roster for as long as Christian has, and that's Curtis Samuel. A lot of people forget that Curtis Samuel came out of Ohio State with a very, very similar skill set to Christian McCaffrey, where he can line up at tailback, but can also create space, and we've seen that speed. So I think that I'm calling Curtis Samuel an X factor in this year's um, – this well this season's offense for Carolina because he is he's also someone that's going to greatly benefit from a Joe Brady you know he's a deep ball threat he's a slot receiver and he can line up a tailback a lot of people have tended to forget that they came in the same year with a similar skill set they're all they were almost the same draft pick right they did the same things but what has happened is Curtis has been hampered by injury yes Curtis has been hampered by inconsistent quarterback play in that Cam was hurt and then you have um, Kyle Allen that came in and, you know, it, it was just one thing after another. So for him, I think that a fully functional Curtis Samuel could give the NFC South fits this year if he's able to stay healthy. And that's like a Christian McCaffrey times two. And I, for people, don't get offended when I say that they have a similar skill set. But if you look back and look at the, the um, their draft profiles, they're very, very similar. Their roads in the NFL just have been a little bit different. But I would look, you know, Curtis Samuel earlier today, and speaking with the press at training camp, 
someone asked him if he'd be running the ball. He was like, well, um, you know, you'll just have to wait and see, basically. Mm-hmm. So I'm venturing to guess that they're going to tap into a skill set for Curtis Samuel that we have not seen utilized in Carolina as of yet. And I think that it could be huge. Yeah, I mean, I think managing everyone's workload is going to be extremely important in this season, uh, however it goes. Because guys' bodies, without the training camp reps, without these things, you're going to want to kind of ease them into this. And I think when you talk about uh, Curtis Samuel, it's interesting the Saints add Ty Montgomery in the offseason. Curtis Samuel, Ty Montgomery, wide receiver, running back type that same type of skill set. So it's like, yeah, people, I think people, more people are looking for those hybrid abilities and you're going to need that versatility on offenses because we don't know what kind of depth you're going to have from week to week. Right. Absolutely. Um, another big position, I think that, uh, that for the Panthers would be uh, the tight end position. Um, right. Since Greg Olson left, that's obviously, it's a huge hole. He's probably going to be a tight, uh, hall of famer at some point. Right. What does that look like offensively um, for Carolina? I don't think that – I mean, this is in no way a dig to, towards Greg because I think he's a tremendous player, but Greg was also hampered by injuries. Yes. So we were able to see, you know, um, Ian. We were able to see Ian Thomas. We were able to see Chris Manhurst. And Chris Manhurst, depending on the scheme, Chris Manhurst is a very, very good blocking tight end probably one of the best. He's big, he's physical, and he can get off the line. So I think that we'll see We'll see a little bit of a change. But again, the inconsistent quarterback play, we didn't get a lot of touches from, um, from Greg Olson. We haven't seen the Greg Olson that we know he can be. We haven't seen that in Carolina in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I think that that's a fair assessment that there won't be a huge drop-off in tight end play. It's just that the younger guys are going to get some burn now. The wide receiver position, I don't think is in as bad a shape as people thought it. You know, I think it's been downgraded some. It's not as bad, but they're still young. The wide receiver is so young. Who's going to emerge? The the wide receiver group is young. But like I said, we have a Curtis Samuel that I still don't feel like we've seen 100% Curtis Samuel yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone mentioned earlier in the press today that he is one of the – he. I, I want to say he was the most open wide receiver in the NFL not to get the targets. Jeez. Whether it was, you know, and he he didn't want to elaborate on it. He was like, sometimes a quarterback throws a bad ball. Sometimes I run a bad route. You know, because he was asked, like, are you frustrated that you, you've been open? We're looking at all this all this film. You've been open and the ball is not getting to you. So that's that's been a, a bone of contention in Carolina for a couple of years now. So if you get Curtis Samuel at full speed, you get Robbie Anderson, who's lightning quick as well, and DJ Moore, who's still maturing into a – solid NFL wide receiver. He was, he got, he had a a thousand yards last year with Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen is not extremely accurate. And so I think that this team has had to deal with holes, whether it's offensive line, whether it's quarterback, you know, people getting hurt and things like that. So I don't think that that class has been able to be evaluated well enough as far as the DJ Moore. I think he definitely deserves a little, not a little bit, a lot more respect than he gets. But as he said, you know, people start paying more attention when you start winning games. You have to win some games, and then people know your name. But I think that he's solid. I think that wide receivers group is very fast. If everyone can stay healthy and Teddy B can consistently get them the ball, you can see something that people aren't expecting. Is he going to get the time? 
with that line, uh, that line, you know. That's another factor. Like, there's all these little factors that, you know, it's like, okay, Curtis Samuel should be putting up these numbers, but then you'll see he'll get four target, five or six targets in one game and then get one or two the next. So it's just been inconsistent. It, in and, and in this division, you know putting up points is going to be at a premium. I mean, you have the Saints who are going to score 30. The Falcons are generally a 25 to 30-point team year in and year out. And we are expecting Tampa to be explosive. But, you know, again, it's Tom Brady. I'm not sure of that at 43. But we expect them to be. So, yeah, you're going to have to. And you the defense, the Carolina defense has a lot of question marks. They, they, they yeah. A they, lot. They have a lot of question marks, but the thing that I think a lot of Panthers fans should hold on to is when they were ranked, you know, the 31st to 32nd in total defense last year, the only, there's nowhere else to go but up. You know, um, Phil Snow likes a lot of hybrid guys, so that's how, there was an all-defense draft. They didn't draft not one offensive player, which I don't know if that's the first time that's happened in history, but it's, it's, it's very – I don't know if it's the first time it happened, but it's very, if it has, it is. Extreme. It happened often, yeah. <laughs> it's not something yeah. that. You- but you get the guys like a Jeremy Chin who has the size to to you know come up and play and, and guard the run, but he can also get out in coverage. You have speedy cornerbacks that are just going to have to be disciplined. Yeah, because that's Eli Apple's thing: is he can be great from one play and then you have to be consistent and disciplined, and that's what we saw in Dante Jackson. Had a great rookie season. Not so much last year, but we also saw him try to force plays a little bit. And um, I think that he has settled in his speed sometimes where he's like, okay, I can play a little bit because I can close this gap and catch this guy. So I think that we're seeing a more, we're going to see a more mature and disciplined Dante Jackson. I would, I would expect um, is of course, new cornerback coach that he, that, that Jackson said that, you know, he, he get, they get along great. He's closest to his age and they have similar mindsets of how to play the game. So we can see a standout season from Dante Jackson. We can see a standout season from Eli Apple, but you know, you have Brian Burns who was early in the season last year. People were saying, Oh, defensive rookie of the year. And then his snaps go down inexplicably. And he's playing gunner on special teams. So he's another one of those hybrids, one of those outside linebacker DN type type sizes. You know, you have Steven Weatherly, you have Tahir Whitehead. So you have guys that have the skill set, but can they play together? I don't know if you remember two seasons ago, I forgot. I think everybody, almost everybody on the Panthers defense had had made at least one Pro Bowl. But yes. they but yeah, then they that, lost like six or seven in a row because Cam was hurt. Mm-hmm. So it's, this Carolina team, it's, 2015 was a magical season because usually they're, they're always just one to two pieces away from being a dynamic football team. Right. And, you know, like you said, there are question marks on that defensive side of the ball, but they can't be worse than they were last year. Statistically. No, no, they cannot, no. And like, that back seven is going to get tested a lot. Again, yeah, in this division. Because people were definitely – look, <laughs> they were de- they were definitely throwing it up over the top. At one point, I want to say they gave up maybe six, 700 um, yards in like a couple of games. It was, some, it was something insane. I remember typing it. It was something insane. So, you know, you have Troy Pride Jr. coming over from, um, right. coming from Notre Dame. These guys have the speed. It's just going to be the technique and the discipline, which – that's one of the things that 
with the lack of installations, they haven't been able to necessarily work on right now. So we'll see as, as time develops and as training camp goes on, but I'm expecting some improvement because it can't go the other way. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's, that they're going to have to simplify this scheme oh. defensively because, like you said, it's a very young group, a lot of young draft picks, guys who were given tons of potential, names, you know, especially on that defensive line. I mean, if they can become a run-stuffing defensive line and get drive and not put yourself in third and three where teams can throw on you, I think that's going to be huge for them. And there's an opportunity to do that because the Saints have not proven consistently that they're going to stick to the run. You know, right. Tampa has not proven that either. And I don't know who's going to be the start. I mean, I know Todd Gurley is supposed to be, but we've he may miss games at any moment. So, I mean, if, if Carolina can stop the run and then on the offensive end, like this, one of those factors is can you sustain a drive? Even if you're not going to score, can you not be three and out? And those are going to be so important. This is the thing. When you get to the red zone, can you get into the end zone? True. Because the last two seasons, we've seen them lose by a possession or less. Six or seven of their or their eight or nine losses would have come within one possession where they were down the field with the opportunity to, to tie or win the game, and they just couldn't get there. They just couldn't get it in, in the end zone. So that's going to be interesting to just to see how they handle red zone and um, the pass rush because it was pretty much non-existent last year, which was odd to me because they were like leading the league in sacks. But the run defense was porous. So we'll see what scheme if scheme can is going to be adjusted. I mean that's what that's what every coach now right now unless you've got a team that's been together for a while, there's gonna be some huge scaling back, yeah. I think, early on and trying to add more things as the season goes along. And just because you have to see what are, what are these guys actually capable of. If and, I'm not mistaken, I think they only returned two starters. Yeah, that that's hard. Two and a half. Dante Dante Jackson started some of the year. And even yeah. try to establish a leader in that time. Yeah. With no on field stuff with just drills. That's yeah. It's gonna be hard, tough. It is gonna be tough, and that's that's honestly one of the things that can make a breaker team is that is that locker locker room leadership. So we'll see. This is a team that has to find its identity. I mean, there's even a different place kicker and punter. So, I mean, down to the special teams, it's, it's going to be – there's a learning learning curve. So how, how much of a – just a difference in training camp – I know not from the format or anything, but Cam not being there, how noticeable so, is it? You know, that presence, the face of the franchise, and he's now there. Right now, it isn't um, noticeable because we're not getting to go to practice. Of course. But I will Matt Rule said that um, he wants to be a serious football place. Some people take it as a dig at Cam, but, of course, people that are still pissed about Cam being gone are going to take everything as a dig to Cam. And he said that – but everybody has said the same thing about Teddy Bridgewater. He's a natural-born leader. When he walks in, everyone listens to him. He's dedicated to his craft. And um, Matt Rule mentioned that Teddy is not allowing music at practice because he told them that they're not there yet. So whether that is a dog and pony show, we'll see, because turning the music off isn't necessarily an element of leadership. Or maybe it's just him trying to assert that things are going to be different. It's a new sheriff in town. I mean, that's, that's so minuscule to me. Yeah. And plus, I feel like, you know, music guys, you know, 
it kind of gets you pumped up. Like, you don't have fans. You, you don't, don't have, have <laughs> you know, so you don't, you guys have to be separated some from in these drills. You're all in smaller yeah. groups. Yeah. Like I said, you're trying to keep energy up in this situation where your mind is already, you're trying to keep your focus when all this stuff is going on in the world outside you. And you, you're still not even a hundred percent sure you're safe doing this. And you're going to say, let's not have fun, man. This right. better be. We better find ways to have fun in this. To have fun. I mean, you have to. You know, I mean, and Vashon and I covered this in our last episode where um, she said someone tweeted that Teddy has the Panthers warming up to um, sounds of the sounds of Charlotte. Because <laughs> he's right by 277. So, I mean, I don't think that him banning music in practice is necessarily a leadership quality, but the other guys, it's something that they're seeing in him that, you know, they're they're all in. You have to be. You have to be all in. But you but, know how how these new coaches are, and they come in yeah. and they like, oh, this is the discipline. The whole perception of what a quarterback is or is not still continues because Teddy is a more traditional guy, and that's that's fine. He is, but it's just different from a franchise that had a Cam Newton, right? It's not- it's, 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 but what I do like, and Teddy seems to be getting a lot of um, positive reviews and things like that, you know, um, his, his acceptance polls are, are, are skyrocketing because he does know how to have fun. He does know how to loosen up. It's just in a different way. I don't know if you saw him tweeting. Oh, Teddy, look, we know, you know, for, we really shocked. loved him here. We love Teddy here. And that's what he's doing. He's boosting up. Um, I guess his approval rating is, is what I'm looking for. You know, some people, and it's not necessarily that they were anti-Teddy. It was just that they were so pro-Cam that they just could not believe he was let go the way he was. It just wasn't fair. It, it definitely was a raw deal, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, it's just going to take – it's just different. They just have different personalities. And I think that as time goes on and the more he does interface, inter- exchange, you know, on Twitter or social media, whatever he uses to speak with fans, I think that, that um, that's a good thing because they're not at FanFest. They're mm-hmm. not getting to see him take pictures with them and get autographs. They're not getting to do that. So Twitter is, is a safe place for him. So I think that in time – people will grow to appreciate Teddy Bridgewater. They'll appreciate him more if they're winning. But I think that it's slowly, the tide is slowly changing. Um, every, like I said, all the guys were, oh, he's a natural born leader. He studies this, that, and the third. So we'll see. How Find diff- out the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> How difficult is making that transition in covering training camp, knowing that, the access is so limited to such a small group of people on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and folks like you and I have to work a little bit harder, a lot bit harder to get information about what's going on in camp and relay that because I think teams now have so much, this year will have so much more control over yeah. the narrative of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. I think that hurts fans. It definitely hurts fans because they want to know who's in position battle. We're not getting that from a Zoom call. If I want to know who's battling for wide receiver one, one of the wide receivers isn't going to tell us that on the Zoom call. And Matt Rule isn't going to tell us that on the Zoom call. He's going to tell us that everybody, you know, everybody has an equal chance to start. We're going to get the, the, the cliche politically correct answers on a Zoom call. And it just is no match for seeing something in person. Like if I see, you know, this guy give up X amount of deep balls, 
there we don't know that in the zoom no one's going to tell us that no one's going to be like oh yeah he was struggling out there you know you know what i'm saying those are things that you have to be able to observe and not being able to physically observe it even if they were streaming it from you know even if they were streaming it it would be easier because you could t- you could write down your notes right now you're getting is a, a 10 to 15 minute zoom call and that's and the, it and the highlights that and, and and the here highlights in Wales, only one station goes each day for highlights we're only allowed to send one local station each day in New Orleans for highlights. Well, I think the only people going to Panthers um, stuff, right, or Panthers practices are the newspaper and the athletic. Wow. So it is severely limited right now. Wow. Yeah. So so video is just... And that... And people don't understand, too, is when you're at camp, you build some really important relationships. And, and you're, you're also talking with other journalists and saying... Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Like, are we, am I, yeah. Absolutely. And that'll be the struggle. Even when media does start going to games and things, we're not going to be in the locker room. I mean, it's just not safe to do so. So you don't get to build that rapport with guys. Like you never know what you might bond over. A media member might be eating Skittles and somebody just signed an endorsement deal with Skittles. And now y'all are talking about Skittles, but we're talking about Skittles. But when I need you to come on my podcast, we have this background to where you're more than likely going to give me content and access because you know me as a person mm-hmm. right now we're just little squares on the zoom box and especially it's especially different and difficult in carolina because there's so many new faces it's not like you know these are a majority of the same guys and they know us and things like that these are people that we might not get to see in person the entire season that are new to carolina that we might not meet till next year if COVID is gone and it's the, like you said, even the simple things when you got a new person on the team and they say, where do I go eat? Like, what's the spot? It's little things that. Someone has a new baby or, you know, sometimes, um, I want to say one of the guys had, had a kid that played football with my kid. Like, there's just those different conversations, those little sidebar conversations that aren't necessarily hard hitting sports information, but it builds a trust and it builds a relationship because a lot of times guys don't trust the media. Mm-mm. Nope. They don't. And it's not individual person's fault but you never know what their interactions or their their history is so to be able to like break through that wall and get them to a place where they're comfortable talking to you about things you can't really do that over a zoom call so it's going to be a challenge for sure um looking at the nca now and you're in acc country they have not yet they're still committed to having fall football at this point they haven't backed out do you I think Clemson is the driver like in this because of their profile. Um, But the number of private institutions in the ACC also leads me to kind of think the Wake Forest, the Dukes, they don't want these problems of litigation that, that are right around the corner for the NCAA and these member institutions for protecting these students. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of my alma mater, both of my alma maters are ACC schools, NC State and Florida State. And Florida State has come under fire for not disclosing, you know, or, or not handling patient health concerns correctly. So that is definitely a mark. Like, I mean, if FSU were the face of the conference football-wise like they were many years ago, it would be shut down. But since they're kind of still in a rebuilding phase, people are paying attention to it, but it isn't causing the headlines that we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the players tested positive for COVID, but this isn't the first time that one of Florida State's players spoke out against, you know, I want to say front office because it's a college team, but spoke out against the, the coaching administration. 
remember the first time, you know, um, we heard that coach, um, coach yeah, when he Norman, didn't reach uh, about the t- uh, he, talking to every player individually. And now they're like, okay, y'all aren't keeping us healthy. You aren't keeping us safe. We're telling you we have these concerns and you are either lying or just blowing right through them. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops today. I, had, I, I saw it on Twitter a couple hours ago, so I don't know if anything else has happened since then. But, I mean, that's got to have, have some type of effect. Yeah. I, like, oh, okay, you're so determined to play that you're not going to tell us if somebody has COVID. And I think that that's going to be a rampant problem. Because these, you know, these coaches, first of all, I have a problem with the coaches being involved in decision-making at all. This is not about the coaches. That's the biggest thing between the NFL and the NCAA is that the NFL players that are opting in, they're going to get paid. You're going to get the money. NCAA, I mean, they wouldn't get paid anyway, but you're asking them to potentially risk their lives and expose their family and close friends for free. And you see, there was an article that came out today that said, basically a doctor who was talking with the ACC said, we've already hit the iceberg and y'all are worried about when the band is going to play. You know, like you, you want to focus on games and we're at the tipping point and particularly in the South, particularly for African-Americans who make up, who, who take 70 to 80% of the snaps. They make up about 60% of the rosters but make yep. up, take most of the snaps in college football. Yeah. And we know it disproportionately f- affects us. And we know that weight is a factor and who's playing on the O-lines and D-lines. These are all things. And they say, well, they're safer on campus. How can you say that if the only thing that you're saying for safety is that you know where they are? That's the only thing you're saying. You know, these campuses are starting to open back up to students. You might go and play video games with your homeboy. You don't know where anybody else in that apartment has been all day. It's impossible to contain it. It's impossible. And like, even with, with my son, when it first happened, he, he's going, he's a rising ninth grader, but they were on a field, going on a field trip to DC and it hadn't hit the, it hadn't hit the, you know, tip top peak just yet. But I had concerns. I'm like, well, why are y'all going to DC? It's a hot spot. And they're, oh, it's nothing. Kids are gonna be together. I said, but what if somebody gets sick and doesn't show symptoms until they're on the way back home? They're still on a charter bus together. Thank God none of those kids got sick to my knowledge. But while the kids were in DC, the school board canceled all remaining field trips. And when they got back, they went to school, had a track meet and didn't go back to school. They go back to school. So and my son's always not that big a deal. It kills older people. Da, 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 da. Now he's like, Ma, I see what you meant. But we don't want people to have to die for people to care about black kids or kids, period, college athletes, period, outside of the football field, outside of the stadium. Because right now, that decision to me, and I know as, as a media member, I hate to see people lose their jobs. And I know there are going to be fallouts from this, but you can get another job. You can't get another life. Yeah, what's the thing that I think is big? It's like they're amateurs. You're asking them to risk their life so you can have something to do on Saturday. And they don't care. They don't care. That's the thing is that they, it'll be like they, and they will say it out of both sides and say, we value these kids. And then you say, well, if you don't want it, there's somebody to just come in and replace you. Well, which is it? Am Am I valuable to you or am I not? Well, we already know that to an extent, they're not that valuable anyway to a lot of Power Five coaches because when everyone was coming out voicing their support 
for Black Lives Matter, the same people that we see on CNN and on Twitter and are telling everybody that are forcing this college football, they were completely silent. So no, Black Lives don't matter unless you're on a football field from, let's say, August to January. The yep. rest of the time, you do what you want. Young, young. And the deeper concern for me, and like you see, you have a ninth grader, and um, is high school football. Because mm-hmm. we live in cities, and we know what high schools are like. We know mm-hmm. the resources that they do not have. We know what a high school locker room looks like. And we know teenage people. I don't see how a school district is going to be able to take on the cost day to day to keep the school as clean as it needs to be. They can't. They can't. That's why everybody's in a virtual academy. And um, I can't speak for any other state, but North Carolina High School um, Athletic Association is pushing all the sports back. Like, see, I don't Louisiana's going full steam ahead. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, really? Yeah, Louisiana's oh, they no, pushed they, it back they, two weeks, and they, that was it. I don't think they start. I'll tell you just how it starts. I want to say it starts around November, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. It's on quick out the blocks, by the way, guys. And that's still tentative, too, because like I'm sure they're probably looking at numbers and going to see what's happening, because if you're not back in school, I would imagine they still will push it back further or have to cancel it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's next year. The first practice date for football is February 8th. And the last game will be March 12th. Am I looking at the right thing? I'm sorry, April 9th. Think about the ramifications for all this, too, because visits to colleges, um, draft status, all these things that are going to be impacted, and there are no rules to govern any of this. None of it. And my, my son goes, well, that's why I'm just going to focus on track, because he high jumps. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look, I can do whatever y'all got going on. I high jump. <laughs> I jump. I'm socially distanced anyway. Yep. Yep. You can practice that on your own. Yeah. And, yeah so I get that. Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, NBA s- situation right now? Um, right at this moment, we got Portland. I mean, basically a Memphis playing for its life against Milwaukee um, to get into the uh, ninth, the eight, nine playing. Do you like that format? Do you think it's worked for the NBA? Um, I think it has worked. I think that they, you know, made lemonade with, with all the lemons that COVID threw at them. I think they've done an excellent job of, you know, being able to still have competitive professional sports and keep everybody safe. So I do, I do like their format. I think it works for them right now in, in the current, under the current circumstances. It just feels like to me is that these playoffs now are completely up for grabs for the most part in the West. Uh, the East seems like people are separating themselves, Toronto, Milwaukee, um, and Miami. But the West, Lakers don't look great. I don't think they want to play Portland in the first round. See, I think that that's exciting. Oh, no, I love it. I yeah, love I mean, it. Because I don't have an NBA team. But if you have, if you are married to the Lakers, it's like, damn, like, why is it like this? I'd rather it be, you know, cut and dry. But for us sitting at home, it's, it's entertainment. It's anybody's game. Yeah, I love it. I love that part of it that I really don't know for the first time in a while in the West, like who's going to come out like that. I'm, that I'm, that's intriguing. I got tired of watching the Cavs and the Warriors in the finals. I'm, I was I'm, so over that. I'm like, oh. and I'm kind of tired of, of having to listen to about how awesome LeBron is at 36 years old. It's like, okay, I got awesome. it. 
But I don't, I don't, 36, the 36 don't matter to me because we're in a different time. You know what I mean? Like guys, for the most part, were retired at 32. You know, Magic Johnson had only played when he, I mean, when he retired in 1991, he was what, 30, 31 years old. Oh. Because when he came into the league after his sophomore year at Michigan State, yeah, he was 19. So he had played from 80 to 91. That's 11 years. So he's about 31 years old the first time he retired. Jordan was 32 the first time he retired. And so people, I mean, it's it, you didn't play this long. And you yeah. went to college, too, which took years off your career. So, I mean, I think it's just, I don't, the 36 part, we didn't have the doctors, the medicine. Look, he's playing great basketball. Let's just call it that. But the age doesn't make him the MVP. You know, I still think Giannis this year is the best player in the league. That's my thought. Um how interested are folks in in the in the Carolina still about Zion Williamson? Um, they don't talk about it as much, obviously, but I think that they're still the Duke faithful are still all in on Zion, and they're going to be. He was a rare talent that came through here, and I think that I don't think he's overhyped. I think he's worth all the hype hype that he has. I think the injury was just kind of like, you know, put put him a couple steps back as well as the family emergency in the bubble that he had to come back late. So he's had some some caveats. And I think that this year is going to be, we're going to, not we, but I think a lot of fans are looking at it with an asterisk. They're not saying that this season hurt him because it wasn't a real season. I think that's a lot of people are going to look at this season, which is weird because the impact on just abstractly the impact on player contracts is going to be fun to see because how are you going to judge people's numbers? How are you going to look at certain things? I didn't get to, if you had an incentive in your contract to score a certain number of points this year, but you took, I lost all these games. Now are the NBA contracts as incentivized as NFL? No, no, no. Cause, but there are some, you know, for minutes and things like that, if you read their goals. So I think that'll be interesting too. Cause I think agents will be trying to figure out how to split the baby on that one. Right. And It'll be 2020 came in a double wave and a fofo. Yeah. Cause I mean, look at, look at, I mean, in the NFL, won't you think you'd have to think, let's say all of a sudden the season gets cut to 12 games, which is very much a possibility in you have, you know, that many less games to get X amount of sacks that are in your contract. Yep. Or, or they kick yeah, they kick in uh, your player option instead. Okay. You know, I need these this year to get out of my regular contract. Right. Man, that's going to be... It's going to be interesting. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting. Like, it, the sharpening your business side of sports right now is so critical. It is to. so critical. We have to. Because it's not a... So, I mean, that's one of the positives. Yeah, true. I've had to learn. I've talked to a lot more lawyers and business people to understand, um, you know, collective bargaining agreements and right. potential lawsuits. I'm because I need to know. I mean, if yeah. I'm going, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the the last thing I really wanted to hit on, um, just going around that, the, going back to the football part and going to the through the division real quick. If you were looking at it, um. Today, guessing, how would you rank the four teams in the division, and how many do you think make the postseason? Um, first, I go Saints because they're the most consistent. Um, second, 
Second, I'll go Atlanta. They're very close to me with Atlanta and, T- and Tampa Bay. And of course I have the Panthers um, finishing last in the division as you know, this is a rebuilding season, but that two and three are interchangeable. Yeah. I am. I am not as hyped on Tampa as everybody. Yeah. I mean, cause if you look at it, they, they've had one of the top offenses in the NFL. I mean, as far as passing yards and things like that, but they also led the NFL in exception interceptions thrown. So it just, it just depends. Um, it just depends. I, I still, I'm not a complete, I'm not completely sold on them. I just know they'll, I feel like they'll finish ahead of Carolina just because Carolina is in the rebuilding phase. Who knows? They can come and shock everybody, but I'm not sold on, Oh, Tom is here. And now Tampa's going to the Super Bowl. I'm not sold on that at all because roots historically, the NFC South has been dominant in QB play, you know, former Heisman winners, national champions, things like that. So I think that that gives them the edge because they're just so inconsistent. So I think that that gives Atlanta the edge over Tampa. So I'm going Saints, Falcons, Bucks, and Panthers. Yeah, I think trying to get Tom Brady to do stuff that he's not comfortable with, which I think drove him out of New England, um, is that they didn't want – they were going in a direction he didn't like. I think Mike Evans, too. I I might have to watch out with those guys because they're not going to get deep balls. They're not getting deep balls in this offense. Mm -mm. And they're used to getting their shots. Which is why, I mean, live by, die by. That's what, that was one of the things that, that hurt Jameis because he was going for the deep balls. And you know that heat in Tampa late in the season is no joke. Teams, I've watched the Saints come in with double-digit wins and Tampa be – that thing will wilt you. And Tom Brady is not used to this. I, I, I don't – you this whole division, you get Carolina on the right Sunday, is, is sweltering there. I've been there up in that stadium. Oh, Yeah. So uh, this is a it's a new deal. Hopefully the season happens safely. Yeah, safely. Yeah, safely. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the thing that everything is with that that in mind to me is if it can't be safe, I can wait. Right. And and, and that's gonna be the paramount thing for me. Um, I always enjoy talking to you. I hope we get to do this again soon. Of course. Please tell the folks one more time how they can follow you. Check the podcast. Check the website. Everything. It's so much, it's so much, guys. Bear with me. Um, I am on Twitter at Sheena underscore Marie three. Well, Twitter and Instagram at Sheena underscore the number three. Um, or the, the business page is underscore QOTB underscore on Twitter. And I'm also on two podcasts. I have Quick Out the Blocks. It's on the Fox Sports Fox Sports Network. And you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, anywhere. And Vashai Hurt and I have the quick blitz I'm, all, I'm over here trying to make sure i get everything you have quick blitz and quick blitz is available anywhere you stream your podcast on the riot network new episodes drop every wednesday see i mean that's that is a laundry list that is a laundry <laughs> list but i if, if, and are you selling the merch yet yeah actually there's a link i could send you the link and you can like drop it in but it's yeah. on like athlete.com a friend of mine has it um has i, I don't want to call it a, a t-shirt brand because it's so much more than that and whenever I, everybody gets a chance please check out theblackathlete.com it's very interesting it's, it's more so of a lifestyle brand but if you scroll down and go to t-shirts you will be able to see the quick out the block shirt i have on here see we gotta get we gotta plug the merch gotta <laughs> plug the merch because i know i'll be pushing mine so <laughs> but thank you again i really appreciate it and i look forward to the next time thank you david 
For Sheena Quick, I am David Grubb, and this has been another episode of Hard to Paint. I'll talk to y'all soon.